This is the Organizational Health Advantage Podcast with Keith Hadley and James Felton, Principal Consultants at Table Group. They're in the business of coaching leaders to build strategic focus and cultural alignment that leads to amazing results. This podcast is for leaders who are looking to increase productivity and morale while decreasing politics, confusion, and unwanted turnover. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage. Welcome back to the Org Health Advantage podcast. I'm your co-host, James Felton, and I'm joined as always by my good friend and colleague, Keith Hadley. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, James. Super excited about today's interview. This is an old friend of yours and a new friend of mine, and I'm excited to explore what he has to say. Oh, yeah. I'm super excited. We are joined today by somebody I've known for, I don't know, since since the late 80s, I think it is, or early 90s. His name is Chris McGee, better known as Geeter, and he is the host of the Lakers, LA Lakers pre- and post-game shows. He's been a longtime volleyball coach at Sports Shack Volleyball Club. He played volleyball at Cal State Northridge in the late 80s, early 90s. He was the MC for the Pro Beach Volleyball Tour. And he might be most proud of the fact that he has won the Manhattan Six Man four times or Five more? Time. Five, Five times. times over four different decades, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> exactly. That is amazing. So, Geeter, how are you doing today? First of all, I'm doing good. And I, I do have to say, I do have three master's titles. Should we count that? Because that's eight total if you're talking oh Manhattan gosh. Six titles. Not that I'm bragging or thing, but I will say this. Hi, guys. First of all, I'm, I'm excited to be here, but I just want to say 31 years ago is when you and I became friends. You were playing at UC Irvine. I was at Cal State Northridge, and the final four that year was in Ball State, I believe. It was in Indiana. And That's correct. Each coach was allowed to bring a player for the conference and to watch the final four. Your coach, Bill, brought you. My coach, John Price, brought me. And he was, our coaches were good buddies. So the four of us hang out the whole time. And that's where you and I became good buddies. And we ended up playing against each other a couple more years and we would hang out. We would, you know, six mans. And then we ended up playing like after college together on club teams and Balboa Bay league teams. So our, our history runs deep, but it started with us raging in Indiana together. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Yes, that is true. And that was so fun. And who knew who knew 31 years later we'd be talking on a podcast about leadership. And so thank you so much for joining us, by the way. So we wanted to talk to you because you have this great perspective or, or you know, this view being so close to the Lakers and being so close to other professional teams. In fact, I think you know Steve Kerr from the yes. volleyball world because his daughter played. And so we'd love to get your perspective on what makes great coaches what makes great teammates? Like what separates those coaches from other coaches? And so let's let's dive right into it if you don't mind. I would, you know, I was thinking about great coaches in in the NBA, and I was thinking of Steve Kerr, Spolstra from Miami, Popovich from San Antonio, and then of course, you know, being a Lakers fan, Phil Jackson, who, mm-hmm. you know, kind of spans this call because he started off winning six titles in Keith's backyard of Chicago, and then five more with the Lakers. I was going to say, being a Lakers fan? (laughs) Yes. How about being a Bulls fan? Yes, being a Bulls (laughs) Bulls fan too. So I don't know, is that, from your perspective, Chris, is that a good list to start off with and talking about great coaches? Yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, when you're looking at 
you know, the history of the NBA. I mean, Phil and, and, and Keith will tell you those Bulls teams obviously are probably probably pretty special to him. And, you know, becoming friends with Steve Kerr and Judd Bushler over the past 25 years, I've gotten a lot of great Bulls stories. Phil, to me, is the GOAT, so you have to have him on that list no matter what when you look at the 11 titles. You know, listen, Pop, of course, Hall of Famer, on and off the court, uh, one of the great all-time coaches in any sport. I definitely am impressed that you put Spo on there. I think Eric, Eric Spolstra now, and, and we can get into why I think he's had success, but Eric Spolstra, 1,000%, um, is in the upper echelon, uh, considered one of the great NBA coaches. For me, Steve Kern, it just, if you ever get to know Steve, it's just not a surprise, right? He's always been yeah. that guy that has overcome adversity, who has learned how to star in whatever role he's in. And just the way Steve attacked his post-playing career with being a broadcaster and how meticulous he was in learning how to do it. And and also the whole time he's doing it, you know, he's he's getting ready for that next stage, which would be coaching. So when he goes into these interviews, people are like, I want Steve Kerr as my coach. And, you know, it's crazy. I mean, Steve was going to be the coach of the New York Knicks. And who knows where he would be now? He'd probably be back in TV, right? He was going to go. His first job was going to be with Phil. But he asked Phil if he could take that interview with Lakeup up at Golden State. And thankfully he did because he's built a dynasty there and he has a special group. Mm. Kerr is definitely on that list. It's It's been fun for me, I think, to, you know, I think my perception, or I don't know if that's not the right word, just my attitude towards coaches, coaching over the years and how I look at coaches, male or female, you know, it comes from a lot of years of experience of doing it. It also comes from experience as a broadcaster now and covering sports. And you look at it from a different vantage point. And then also as a parent now, you know, I coached my own mm-hmm. kids. And this will yeah. probably be the first year since 1989 that I'm not coaching a team. You know, my kids play for SCBC Volleyball. That's where I've coached the last number of years. You had mentioned Sports Shack, where I used to coach back in the day. So it'll be the first year I'm not coaching. But I, I definitely have evolved in how I speak of coaches, how I look at coaching, and I'm always fascinated by great ones, whatever the sport, football, basketball, baseball, the way people manage. So I think you're hitting it on the head with that list. That's a pretty good list when you're looking at the NBA for sure. And so let's let's jump in there. And and first of all, apologies for not remembering that you're with SCVC now. But oh, yeah. let's jump into like Steve Kerr, since you know him. Yep. And he is, you know, he's clearly had the results, but, but we believe like behaviors precede results. And so what is it about Kerr that has built, you know, built a great culture? Of course, he inherited a pretty good team already, but what has, what has he done there? And, and what is it about Kerr that, that builds that, that culture or those results? I think that's a great question. And I love the way you put that, that behavior precedes results. And I think Steve has what all great coaches kind of have to have in their, in their, in their, in their arsenal. Number one, he's one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. He can speak on so many different issues because of the kind of player I believe he was. I think he relates. And I think this is important when it comes to coaching. He relates to number one, all the way through number 15. And I think it's a very mm. valuable thing. And I think that's why we see in life a lot of times star players will try coaching. They can't do it. They don't have the patience right. for it. They don't understand why that guy can't do that because they could just do it. Right. Understands right. that role of a guy coming off the bench, a guy that never plays. 
but he also happened to play with a guy named Michael Jordan. So he understands how to be with the greatest and the best and how to play off of that, how to treat him. He also played under Lute Olson. And if you look at the history of Arizona basketball, and if you know some of those guys, and I know you do, Beaks, but like some of our guys, RJ, Richard Jefferson, Luke Walton, um, Channing Fry, the, the list goes on and on of, of, of the guys that you know have kind of crossed over to the volleyball world and we've all become good friends with. They look at, <laughs> they look at Arizona, it's family. That's where Steve comes from. Yeah. And then he plays for Phil Jackson. He plays for Pop. I mean, I think he's taken the best of those, both of those guys and he's also brought it into the new era of basketball. He's an unbelievable communicator. So I think you have to have that. I think being able to communicate with not just players, your coaches, people in the front office, the secretaries, whomever it may be, you have to have that ability to communicate. He also is not afraid to get on someone and hold people accountable. I think a big problem with coaches is they're sometimes afraid to coach the superstar, afraid to coach the yeah. great player because yeah. they hold them to different standards, but they let them get away from a lot of things. They let them get away with stuff. And this goes all the way from the juniors level to the pro level, holding players accountable, players trusting you. When you talk about the NBA guys is, I mean, that's where like, I don't have that experience. I've coached star players. I've coached star players, but they're juniors. That's different than, coaching a star player who has hundreds of millions of dollars and can literally tell you to F off and walk out at any second and have you fired. It's not an easy thing to do. So for them to be able to trust you and for you to be able to trust them and, and take them out when they need to be taken out, run them or do whatever you have to do during those, you know, discipline kind of stuff. And, and I know it's different when it's in the NBA, but to be able to have that gift, there's just not many better than Steve. And I think when you look at all the great coaches, and you can look across the board in every sport, but we'll, we'll, we'll take Pop and we'll take Phil, we'll take Spo and we'll take Steve. One thing they all have in common, and I think it's so important in any line of work, what happens when they lose? When they lose, they don't get fired. Hmm, yeah. There's no panic. Now in today's society, in today's sports society, sports world, what drives me crazy the most, and maybe it's because I come from a coaching background, is the minute a team loses a game, it's fire that guy. They, they lose a season, fire him, trade these guys. There's no journey. So yeah. Big Game James will tell you this, James Worthy, not, not uh, James Felton. Big Game James Worthy, who, who I work with, brought up a great point on Media Day to the Lakers general manager, Rob Polinka, to the head coach, Darvin Ham, to some of the players that were returning. What can you learn from losing together? That's everything. Losing together and going through it makes you a better yeah. team in the long run. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have to add a piece here or there, because you do a lot of times. But losing together and how do you get through that and going through adversity and how do you get through that, that to me is the ultimate key to winning. And that's where Steve can separate himself from so many. His relationship that he had with Bob Myers, his relationship that he has with his star players. I mean, he and Draymond have probably gotten into it, I don't know how many times, right? But the trust is there. And Draymond is still on that team. And Steph, yeah. they're in the lottery for two years. No one's getting fired. They understood the path. 
They understood the journey. So when they come back and they beat Boston in that finals, guys, is that not their sweetest title? I would bet my life it is. I really would. If, yeah. if it come down and it said, hey, you have to bet which title they hold the most. And you know who knows? Maybe it's the first one because it's special. But that fourth one, to be able to be buried, buried, and everyone write you off, that kind of redemption, that kind of part of the journey, yeah. it's tough to beat. It's tough to beat. And Steve has that. Game. Two really bad years. Yeah. I love what you're saying. So as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, you know, the majority of people that will listen to this podcast are in the business world. They're, yeah. they're leaders. And and so many of the themes that you've talked about are so critical. You know, being a good communicator, you know, really understanding your craft, learning from the best. You're talking about learners, building trust, but this idea of you know, holding people accountable, superstars or not superstar. And then how do you recover from adversity? Like the business leaders listening to this podcast, they're, they're dealing with what we call VUCA, you know, velocity, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. I mean, the world, this is like going crazy right now. And everybody's trying to figure out how do we rise above the chaos of the world or the economy or the business and, and what you're describing in these Coaches, I would say, are universal principles for any leader of other human beings. And you know what else, Keith? And and I think you 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 nailed it right there because I just think there's so much crossover. I think that's why so many people in the athletic world and so many people in the business world join forces because they want to learn from each other. That's why Kobe was so into business and so into what he was going to do next chapter because he was fascinated by it. He wanted to be great at it. And and one thing that I, I I think also goes to what you were saying is there is ego involved, of course, when you are great at something or you are the best at something. And you have to have that. And you have to be competitive and, and, and all that stuff. But I, I remember always learning. I thought, I think it was always John Wooden that, that said it. But I think great leaders in business and in sports have said it before. Like, I don't want to surround myself with people that are either a yes man, yes man, or that where I am by far the smartest in the room. I want other people that challenge me. I'm not, I can't yeah. be afraid to check my ego at the door and put a former head coach into the assistant chair next to me while I'm going at it for the first time. And that's what Luke did when he coached. Steve did that. He had Alvin Gentry next to him who had coached in Western Conference final. Like you can't be afraid to have a guy that's been there and learn from. That's another part of coaching. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's 10 ways to do it, right? And your way might be one way, but there's other ways also. And sometimes you have to adjust. Sometimes you have to pivot. Sometimes you have to go in a different direction. And that's in business and in sports, right? So yeah, I think you guys are, yeah. you guys are hitting on it. Sure. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You're kind of getting into resiliency. I don't want to change the tra- trajectory of where you're going, but when you think about resiliency, I think about Spolstra. Yeah. Maybe just comment on what you've seen or observed in him. Keith, I think Spolstra is such a great example. And I think what is key, if you want to know why he was able to get where he was, look no further than Pat Riley. And I say that because, and I wasn't tied to the Miami Heat back then. I mean, but because of being such an NBA person and knowing people that were part of that organization and then knowing people that are tight with LeBron, all, all that stuff, like Spo's biggest, the biggest key to him and his success, obviously outside of like the work ethic and where he came from, video room all the way up, was the fact that Pat Riley believed in him 
and said to everyone, whether it's Dwayne Wade or LeBron James or whomever, this is our guy. This is our guy. And this is who we're riding with. Win or lose. Do you know how easy it would have been to fire Spo? And think about how unfortunate it would have been. In 2011, when they put the heat together for the first time and they got their ass kicked by Dallas, it would have been so easy to fire Spo. But they didn't. And what happened? Two more titles followed. LeBron leaves, all that stuff, the transition. They go into the lottery. You stay with Spo. Now, They've taken. They've been to the finals twice with teams that nobody believed would get there, and now when he coaches in the playoffs, he's considered the best X's and O's guy and a guy you don't want to go toe to toe with because Riles believed in him. So, I think and listen, I don't know about you two, but like for me to be where I am in TV, I mean, Beeks James can tell you like I didn't go to school for this. I don't have a clue what I was doing. I grabbed a <laughs> microphone at a beach volleyball tournament. I started talking. You know, fast forward years later, I'm I'm literally hosting. Laker shows with James Worthy and, and Robert Ory. It makes no sense, but I had people along the way believe in me. Now, I think you have to have talent and you have to have the drive and you got to have work ethic and you have to have all those things. You have to prepare your ass off, all that stuff in business and in life and in sports. But you got to have people believe in you. You have to have people that are mentors, people that will put you in a position to succeed. And then when you get there, now you get the pitch. It's your job to hit it, right? Like, got to be put in that position first, though. So that's I'm glad. I'm so glad you brought up Spo because his journey is so much different than a lot of others. As I'm hearing you talk, Geeter, one thing that came from the business world that I'm hearing over all these coaches that we're talking about, I got the chance to spend time with a guy named Craig Weatherup, who's the former CEO of Pepsi. And when you talk about mentors, he mentored me a little bit in when I first started this job at Table Group. And I once asked him, like, what were the three things that he had to do as a leader? The three things he focused on. And and the first one was develop strategy. And I figured, yeah, of course, you were the CEO. And he said, implement strategy. And I said, yeah, okay, also, of course, you're the CEO. And then he said, the third was the most important and the toughest. And that was build followership. Knew it because yep. people had to had to trust him even when they disagreed with him. Yep. And when I think of these coaches that we talk about, you, you, we're talking about Steve Kerr, who came from. I mean, he took over a pretty good program, you know, at Golden State program, a pretty good team, pretty good organization. They just weren't quite getting to where they wanted to, but they had Mark Jackson who built followership, probably. Spolstra was following Pat Riley, who for sure was a tough act to follow. Phil Jackson came in from nowhere to coach like maybe the best player of all time. How do you think or how do you, what would you say those three people did to build that followership? Ooh, I think that's a great one. I'll give you an example of Steve. When he yeah. took over the team, and Bob Myers has told this story, he and Bob were in that office every day and they're devising a plan. And remember Mark Jackson was a popular guy and Steve was always very respectful of what Mark Jackson had built. And I think that's an important thing. He didn't come in and just say, Oh, this team is terrible. I'm going to take them to the finals. Hey, we're at a great spot. How do we get to a championship level spot? Who knows more than Steve? He had won five of them. So he came in and he and Bob as a partnership have all the names on the whiteboard. And Bob tells the story of like, Steve, like 
I just don't see any minutes for Draymond Green. Remember, Draymond Green wasn't Draymond yet. Oh. And Bob said to him, they're just doing all this, you know, they're putting minutes on the, you know, they're, they're, they're putting up lineups and what they think it would look like before the season even starts, before they even go to camp. And Bob says, Steve, I just got to say, man, like, I just feel like we got to find minutes for Draymond. I just think, and that's the general manager. I just think that we got, and for Steve to go, okay, I trust that because you've been around him a lot more and find ways to use Draymond Green. I mean, how genius has that become? You cannot plug in someone in that role. There's only one of them, right? And I also think a big part of it then was the way he built his staff, right? Just Mm -hmm. like the way all those guys you mentioned, when they come in, you build your staff. You have Ron Adams, who's the old grumpy guru defense guy that had been around in the bulls days and like he you know ron's just like seen every race run the ron's the guy that can tell you steve take your head out you know what i mean then he's got luke luke the young new coach who everyone loves who can kind of bs with the guys can be one of them can be draymond's guy he was draymond's guy you need that Mm. he brings his boy bruce frazier q dog Q, who's now the most interesting man in the world, we always call him. He's the gray-bearded guy who works out with Steph Curry. Here comes Q. Q's a great workout guy. He becomes Steph's guy. You got Alvin Gentry, right? You got all your guys on the back bench that are young and hungry and video guys and family, guys from the Arizona world. And, And that's what he did. He built this. So now they walk into that first day and you have guys that have had a little success in their mind, they won a playoff series. They took the Spurs to sit, whatever. They're, you know, they're up and comers. Yep. They're superstars, and you fired their coach. And they're doing drills where they're throwing balls into the net, and they're doing all these like these like technical bounce passes and stuff like this. In in you think the guys are looking at them like, is this guy crazy? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> but they stuck with it, and all of a sudden it starts to make sense. And Steve tries, and Steve starts to tell them. You weren't top six in basketball efficiency. You weren't top six in defensive efficiency. You think you were this great team. You weren't. Your turnover rate was that. Now it starts to like click. Here's how we're going to play basketball. We're going to speed. You know what I mean? So like you build it. You don't like knock everything down. Sometimes you have to. But you, you see where it was. What are we great at? What aren't we great at? How do we take the next step? And you got to get them to believe in it. And if you get them to buy in, that's everything. Like the guy from Pepsi, you get him to buy in, everyone's going to follow. Everyone's going to yep. follow. Yep. Yep. The other thing that we know of with Steve Kerr is that he instituted some some core values. And maybe you know more about this, but he said, hey, we're going to love competition. We're going to have compassion. We're going to be mindful and we're going to have joy. You know, it's competition, compassion, mindfulness, and joy and held everybody to that standard as well. How important are those attributes in life? I mean, imagine that being your core values with your family. Imagine that being your yeah. core values with your business. Happy, happiness in a good mind space, in a good head space, and feeling good about yourself. That, that you guys talk about behavior, proceeding results. You're in a good place. You're going to yeah. see more results in business too, right? Yeah. Same force yeah. and. Steve was absolutely genius there. And I think a big thing, guys, that Pop, because we're going to use those four, Pop, Phil, Spo, I think what separates them from others, where I think Steve is so good, goes to what you just said, James. Having a finger on the pulse of your team 
and a team's needs is super important. You might be yeah. a guy that sleeps in the office. You always hear that about football coaches. But you know what? Not everybody needs to do that. Make sure your coaches have balance. They have time for their families and they have time to go do their things. That's why Steve always had that stuff was like important to him. Also, your players know when they need a day off. Know when yeah. you don't to grind them. Know when you know, don't care that Steph and Iggy are going to play golf on the road. <laughs> Who cares? Steve knows. <laughs> Oh, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. They're playing 36. I mean, you know what, MJ? You know why Steve knew that? Because MJ played 36 holes on a day of a playoff game and the day of the gold medal match. Like, just don't worry about those guys. And that's where young coaches or young executives or young CEOs can get a little, I think, that's where they can struggle because they see just this vision. And you have to be this way. And this is how I did it. Well, that's not how everyone is going to do it. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. really important. I think that's, that comes to the core values that you're talking about. It's about having balance in life, man. It truly yeah. is. If you're just doing one thing, then that, I'm not saying you're failing in other areas, but, but you're deficient in other areas, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So we've been talking about leaders. I'd love to get your thoughts on what makes great teammates. Yeah. You know, we've, we've heard about the culture. You got to get the right people in. And when I thought about that, ironically, when I thought of about great teammates, Steve Kerr was one of those people. Yeah. You know, like a great teammate, you can count on him. He was going to work his butt off. Wasn't the most physically gifted, but he wasn't going to be outworked. And so that, that's somebody who came to mind, but you probably can, you know, with your time watching the Lakers and who they play and your time with Robert Ory and, and yeah. Derek Fisher and those guys, like you could probably think of a, a handful of great players right off the top of your head. But what made them great teammates? Yeah, I, I feel like I've been so lucky to be around great teammates or, or great, great guys that were unbelievable. The Robert Ory's of the world, Derek Fisher. One guy that you know I'm really tight with that I gravitated to really early in life was Luke Walton. And we became good yeah. buddies. And what's amazing is we played a lot of volleyball together. But what I always loved about Luke, and I think I, I think I was so attracted to it because that's how I live my life, was everything was always about the team. We could be playing, mm. um, we could be playing cornhole, and it's about your teammate. Beach volleyball four and four. It was about the team, and truly understanding that is. I'm not going to say it's rare. But it's a gift, and it's what makes those people who they are. The Robert Ories of the world who, yeah, Rob always has a chip and still kind of does because he could have scored 23 a game, but that was never his yeah. role. And his role was to win championships and be a part of teams and be complementary pieces to superstars, and there's not anybody better at it. That's why Rudy Tom Jonathan said he should be in the Hall of Fame. And pe- some people are like, yeah. yeah. Notice all the NBA guys were like, yeah, he should be. Fans were like, well, he only averaged 12 a game. Like, there's no spot in the Hall of Fame for being a great teammate, but you win yeah. being a great teammate. Yeah. Well, and how many championships did he have? Was it seven? Seven. Seven and oh. And, 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 and listen, <laughs> like, I had to learn how to be a great teammate in college. You know, you, you learn how to be a great teammate when something hits you in life where, like, you got to realize that, you know what? It's not about me. I'm not the star anymore, or I'm not this anymore. And what's the ultimate goal? The goal is for us to achieve something 
together. And the only way you do that is by working together. And that's the best part. I mean, sometimes you win because you're just the best players. And that's been pretty fun. It's been pretty cool. We've been a part of that, all of us. And that's awesome. But there's also times where you win because you were the best team and you went through the, I'm not going to say the bad word, but you went through the stuff, man. I call it Andy Dufresne, Shawshank Redemption. Remember he had to swim through an <laughs> island. You know what? I'll say crap. He had to swim through and guess yes. where he Guess where he yes. ended up on the other side? Z Wantanea with red and a bag full of cash and glassy surf. What's better than that? But you had to get through a mile of crap before you got there. So there's that whole like getting through adversity together and like understanding your teammates, like knowing how to make a guy better, knowing how to make a, a, a or, or a woman, knowing how to make them better, knowing how to be a, an ear for them when they need it pushing them when it's time to be pushed and, and like just things like that. Also like what I always say, like in business and in sports, like I always say this to my kids and I think I've always done it in places where I've worked, get to know people a little bit about them. You don't need to know 5,000 facts, but get to know them a little bit on a personal level and you'll see what happens. You'll see the camaraderie build and you could live in a, you could work in a place where there's a hundred cubicles and no one cares what the next person's doing. We just got to get to our bottom line. I got to meet my quota. I got to do this. But get to know that person and people and where they're from. How many siblings? What's their favorite team? Whatever. And then you can bond and connect on a way. And that's why I've, that's what I've always tried to do. And I think that's what makes a great teammate. A great teammate is someone that's just there for their, for their teammates. You're there for them no yeah, matter yeah. what. Thick and thin. You don't turn on them. You're loyal. And, and you have their back. And when they miss that shot, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use an example from the Lakers the other night. And I know I'm talking a lot, so I apologize. But Cam Reddish, Cam Reddish misses a three to win the game against Miami Heat. And Twitter's going crazy. Why would Cam Reddish shoot that three? Why did Darvin Ham have him in the game? Fire Darvin. Why is LeBron didn't want to take <laughs> LeBron didn't want to take the shot. And, and I'm like sitting there going, man. Y'all just basically saying I never played a sport past Little League when you don't understand that. <laughs> like, there's a timeout. Darvin says to one of the greatest players of all time, make a play. That's what they do in those huddles. Yeah. The ball's in your hands, yeah. LeBron. LeBron goes downhill. Well, do you think Eric Spolstra, who coached LeBron, is going to just let him have a free lane? No, he brings oh. he brings three guys over. Okay? And one of them is Bam. LeBron can't shoot that ball. Cam Reddish is wide open. LeBron said it after that game, and he said it after the following game. I'm going to make the right play, and I did. I threw it to Cam. Cam missed the shot. You know what he did to Cam Reddish? Cam Reddish was trying to stay in the league, and now is finding a home. Yeah. You know what he said to Cam Reddish after the game? I'm coming to you again. I'm coming to you again. I'll go to you all day long. Guess what happened the other night? Literally on the road, national game, Phoenix, LeBron, same play. Cam Reddish buries it. Cam Reddish has people believing in him. No one believed in him at these other places, and now he's thriving. There's something to be said about that. That's a great teammate. Build up. Don't tear down. Build up. Yeah. Tell them they're awesome when they're awesome. Well, the other thing I hear you focusing on is something we talk about is not only have each other's backs, but focus on collective results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, what we see is, uh, teammates who are focused on the function that they lead 
as opposed to the collective results, doing whatever's needed to help the organization get to where they need to get to, you know, to get to the yeah. financial results. And they might, you know, they're overly focused on their silo or their function as opposed to how do we all work together to get these results? And that's what yeah. you're talking yeah. about yeah. in the team setting. The other thing that I, I love that you said there is like, get to know the people you work with, you know, yeah. what, where they grow up, how many kids, you know, all of that. And we do an exercise called personal histories with teams where it's exactly that. Like, where did you grow up and what did your parents do for a living? How many siblings do you have and where are you in the birth order? And describe yep. a unique challenge you faced growing up. Like, let's build the trust on this team by being honest and genuine with one another. You know what, guys? Like, yeah. funny. I think, you know, I've tried to instill this in my own kids and any team that I've ever coached, because I remembered as a player, like when you lose and when a season ends, especially in college beaks or high school, when a season ends and you know, those other there's people moving on and graduating. And I'll never forget it. In 1993, we, we lose the finals and I'm a mess in the locker room. But I think a big part of that was because it, I felt like it was over, even though I had one more year because my best friends were leaving the team, Matt Unger, Holy yeah, yeah. Ken Lynch, who I'd been with since ninth grade, because I redshirted a year. So they were all leaving. And we were having like 15 new guys on the team the next year. And I just remember like being like, I'm not even going to, this next year is going to suck, right? And you know what? What's funny is a freshman that came in that year, Colin Smith, the next year, the guy was in my wedding. He's one of my best friends 30 years later. (laughs) And like, you know, you have to be open to learning about those new teammates and, and wanting to with the new teammates, because sometimes it's not easy, right? Sometimes you just get old and grumpy and you just want to be set in your ways. You don't have time to go walk four cubicles over to talk to that person and find out where they're, why they're a 76ers fan. But you know what? Like if you open yourself up and you do it, you're going to make new connections and we're never too old. We're never too big time to make those new connections. I think, you know, business, like you, you, you can move up the ladder, right? You could be pretty high up and there's a new person, even an intern can still teach you something, right? There's a famous line in, in television. Like when I first got into it, it was like, Hey man, treat those people in the truck. Like the people who are literally like running out your water, like treat those people with respect because by the way, in a few years, they're literally going to be your producer or your boss. And it's freaking true. <laughs> How I got, I'm like, that's the truth, man. These people rise up through the ranks. You don't even know what's happening in that truck or in that production. All of a sudden they're, you know, you fast forward eight years in there, all of a sudden they're, they're pretty high up and you're like, you know, you, you always want to treat people, whether they are above you or below you, you want to treat them well. You want to treat them with respect. You want to value them. You want to build them up because who knows, right? And that's the same thing in coaching and that's it's it's leadership 101 man like connect yeah. with your people Even yeah they're yeah. not on the same level as you financially maybe maybe they're not on the same level as your iq maybe they're not on they don't have the wins you have in sports but connect with them because it's going to help you out as well you know 
Yeah. Well, that that personal connection we talk about that so often, but it, it's amazing how often on an exec team, you know, even people will, will just push back on this idea of like personal histories. Like, why do we need to talk about this at work? This is work, yeah. but it, it's it's that it's the oil in the machinery that that it's what builds trust. It what it's what gives you the context when they do something that you don't understand. You don't judge them. You just you're curious. Hey, what's going on? And I, I love that. I know we're getting closer to the end of our time, but I I can't let this podcast go by without asking. You know, you've referred to James several times as Beaks, which nobody has ever done at Table Group or on this podcast. So, so you just got to give us like two or three sentences there. So, I was actually kind of hoping that you would bring this up, and maybe now everyone will call him that at work. I mean, do you remember Beaks? Tell that's me, that's also my goal. Beaks from what the Muppets was it the Muppets? Beaks, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so story <laughs> is thanks, Keith and Dieter. Yeah, I didn't know it was game for 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what a lot of people say. So the story was I had uh I had a flat top in college. So this is late 80s, early 90s. And one day I tried to cut it myself, <laughs> cut it way Great too idea. close on the side. Way too close on the side. So now it was pretty much buzzed. And I'm like, okay, I can't touch it anymore. I gotta go to a barber. And of course, what he did was just shave it all off to match what mm-hmm. I had done on the sides. And it meant that I had like, you know, this this flat top up top. You look like and, Beaker. Uh, that was still pretty long. <laughs> and I walk into practice and, you know, a bunch of guys are just giving me a hard time. And my coach walks over and goes, hey, it's Beaker from the Muppets. <laughs> and, no. and it's stuck, man. It stuck like glue from that day forward. And then it beaks was just the shorter version of it. But oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Keith, honestly, yeah. like in the phone, it says Beaks Felton. Like, I mean, he's just Beaks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that story. So the funny story is. I went to the chiropractor one time, like during college, but he, the chiropractor played volleyball and we'd go out on the beach and he'd be there with us playing volleyball and stuff like that. And I had a shoulder injury. So I went to see him and he's for sure taking care of my shoulder and, and about like three appointments in the office gal says, Hey, we're trying to run your, your medical benefits and we just can't find James Beeks anywhere. Like what's going, it doesn't line up with your, with your card. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's not, it's not great. Great story along those lines. So Keith, they've called me Geeter since high school and I'm I'm not going to get into that, that story of when I figured it out, but Mike McGee was named that that's what the Lakers called Mike McGee Geeter. I didn't know that until I got the Laker job. And I heard Byron Scott and James Worthy talking. And I go back to my buddy in high school that made it up. He's like, yeah, I was a huge Mike McGee fan because of Michigan. So it all comes full circle. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. So I've been like literally, but this is the best. So it's 2006. I've been friends with Luke Walton for like three years. And there's a club volleyball qualifier in Colorado called Crossroads. And my three of my best friends in the world, we all coached at Sports Shack. And four of us were going to the Lakers Nuggets. The, the Lakers are in town playing the Nuggets while we're there. So I asked Luke if I could get tickets. And we're walking over to the arena. And my phone rings and it's my, you know, it's, it was like kind of before texting, right? Like, right, you know, texting wasn't really popular then. And, and the phone rings and it's Luke. And I pick up myself and it's Luke. And, I, and he goes, yo, he's got that voice. He's like, yo, Gator, uh, I'm leaving you these tickets. No, I, I, I don't know. I, 
I don't know your full name, bro. Like he didn't know we were friends. For three <laughs> he thought yeah, Peter McGee. Yeah. So I was like, dude, Chris McGee, because you have to put your ID. So I always thought that was like the funniest thing ever. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. All right. Well, Geeter, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. And I, I know we had to work through some technical difficulties to get here. And so thank you for your patience on all that. And really, really appreciate seeing you and you being a part of this. It was awesome. I got to say something. I was supposed to be on this, what, a month ago, but I forgot. And I told Beeks, I said, listen, dude, because it, it happens to me all the time with radio and stuff. Like, I, I'll forget. Like, you know, people are like, dude, you're coming on in an hour, right? I'm like, oh, my God. So I, so I was like, Beeks, you got to remind me. So I apologize for that, number one, Keith. And number two, I had a blast coming on. I love talking about this kind of stuff. So the fact that you guys thought of me for this really cool. And anytime you ever need me, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. And, uh, I hope Keith that, you know, you take something from this and that is that you spread the word that you call them beaks now around the office. I think loud and clear beaks. This has been a great <laughs> podcast. Geeter. Thank you so much. All right. Keith. Appreciate there, you there's going to be a lot of editing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Love you, brother. Thanks for having me. Beaks. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Org Health Advantage. Your hosts, Keith and James, are helping leaders change the world of work and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. For more resources on building stronger teams and organizational health, check out tablegroup.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.